Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. It's a new series that we're doing out of the book of Revelation, and uh, I'm just super excited about doing this, uh, doing this series and kicking it off today. It's going to go for seven weeks, and I don't know if you've ever read the book of Revelation. It's one of those books that's filled with horsemen, and there's some plagues in there, and there's, there's a beast, and... Well, there's all kinds of things in there, and sometimes those things are hard to understand. And because of that, there's this temptation to want to avoid the book altogether, right? Okay, but did you know that there is a blessing for those who read the book aloud, who hear it, and obey it? Did you know that? There is the promise of a blessing God says, I promise to bless the people that read it, that hear it and obey it. And I think that's worth paying attention to. If there's a blessing out there, I'm going to get my hands on it. I want to get a hold of it. And so parts of this book are intense. Parts of this book are pretty full on. But at the beginning of the book of Revelation, in the first few chapters, there are seven letters written to seven churches. And to be honest, those letters are pretty straightforward and pretty easy to read. And in those letters, it's basically a message from Jesus to seven churches to admonish them, in some ways encourage them, in some ways challenge them, to call them to respond to change the direction that they were going, to set a new path, to set a new direction. And that's what this series is all about. And I just figure that we don't have to make the same mistakes as the churches we read about. There are two ways you can learn. And I thought it would be smart if we could learn from the mistakes they made so we don't have to make them. Does that make sense? I always tell my kids this, guys, there are two ways you can learn. You can make the mistake yourself. You can watch other people make it and learn from what they did. We're going to learn from what they did. So I want to tell you about the book of Revelation, uh, just, just so we can orientate ourselves around the series today. The word revelation in the Greek is apocalypsis, and it means to reveal. The root word of that means to conceal. This is the opposite of that. This is to reveal. And who's doing the revealing in the book of Revelation? Where's well, Jesus? And what is he revealing? Well, Jesus is revealing things that were happening at that present time. But it's also revealing things that are to come in the future. And now we stand in our present, but it was their future. And the things that are written in this book, the book of Revelation, many of these things are still to come. So don't let anybody tell you that the Bible is old-fashioned. It's futuristic. <laughs> don't let anyone tell you that it's anchored in history. It's anchored in the present. It was clearly written by somebody who exists outside of time since they can tell us about the past, present, and of course, the future. And so here is Jesus and he's revealing certain things, certain future events. And who's he revealing it to but the Apostle John, 
who had been exiled and was on the island of Patmos. And here he is in about 95, 96 AD. And he writes down these things that are being revealed to him. And if you read the book of Revelation, and you might not understand this right now, but if you read the book of Revelation, it actually helps to make sense of the whole Bible. When you read that book, a lot of other things begin to make sense. And I would say that there are parts of the Bible that without the book of Revelation, they don't make sense. So it becomes this really important book. It's not just stuff about the future. In fact, it references things from the Old Testament. Did you know that in the book of Revelation, there are over 800 references to Old Testament scripture. And so it's clearly piecing together everything the whole way through. And the Bible talks about this and it says, John, the guy that wrote this, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And so he gets this vision from Jesus. And you know, like when you're going, have you ever gone into a church and they have a cross somewhere in there and there is like Jesus hanging on the cross? You've seen that, right? Okay, like I get it. I understand that that's there to remind us commemorate what Jesus did so that we can be thankful, but He's not there anymore. Oftentimes when we see pictures of Jesus, it's like when He was in His human form, when He was on earth, maybe some drawing that you saw, some painting that you saw, something of Him on a cross. I love the, the beginning of the book of Revelation. You're not going to have this on the Scriptures, guys, so don't look for this slide. But, but let me, hey, let me just read to you this is a picture of the risen Christ. He's a little different from all the other ones that you've seen. It says that he was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest and his hairs, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. I think that that's awesome. It's a picture of the risen Christ, the one who's not still on the cross. And so he speaks to John and he says to him, I want you to write down what you see. So when you read the book of Revelation, it's like John's best attempt at putting together words to try to explain something no one has ever seen. He's doing his best to paint pictures with words so that we can kind of understand it. But if you can interpret those things and understand what those words are meant to paint, then the thing starts to make a lot more sense. And so this is Jesus revealing things to John who writes down seven different letters to seven separate churches. The number seven is interesting, it's significant. If you were to do a study in numerology and, and understand it from a biblical sense, the number seven is the number of completeness. Same as the number three, same as the number 12. It's the number of completeness. So there is something interesting in that, that there was written to seven churches. Because trust me, there would have been more churches around at the time. It's interesting that they just write to seven. I think we're meant to understand something about that. I think that in that, we're meant to understand that there is some sense of Jesus writing to all the churches to complete all, all of the churches. 
So I want to just begin and read to you out of Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. It says, In His, that's Jesus, in His right hand, He held seven stars. From His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and His face was shining, uh, was like the sun shining in full strength. And then He begins to break down what that means, because we're like, what is, what's with the stars? He says this in verse 20, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Well, that's pretty good that he interpreted it for us. We don't have to think about what that is. He told us exactly what it is. I thought it was kind of cool that each church had an angel, yeah? Yeah. But actually the... The Greek word really means messenger or envoy. So maybe it's an angel. I think angels are present. We don't really talk too much about that. But I think that, you know, in in every church, the presence of angels are there. Sure. But when it talks about this, it's probably more the envoy, the messenger, the person who's bringing the letter to the person who's bringing the letter to the seven churches. So I want to tell you a couple things about each letter before I even get into the first letter. But there's, there's like three things. There's actually way more than that, but I thought I'd condense it for today. I would tell you three things about each letter that just seems to be consistent. Number one, each letter was written to an actual church. So back then in this time, they were written to a specific church. There were real churches. You could go there and you could visit those people. So they're all written to an actual church. But what's really interesting is the order in which the letters seem to be written. So I'll just tell you this from the get-go. Not everyone agrees with this, but there's almost like this prophetic thing that's happening around the order of the letters. Because if you were to take those letters and it begins, of course, we understand the first one is Ephesus and then we end with Laodicea. And if you were to line up those letters end to end, what do we see? But it seems to represent the church in the age of ages of history. So the first letter, Ephesus, seems to represent the apostolic age or the early church. And then as we go through, we find the middle ages and the, the middle, you know, the church in its middle ages, they had a specific problems that they face. And then if you were to go all the way to the future, the last letter, the letter to Laodicea, that's probably where we find our present church. Don't get there ahead of me. We'll deal with that when we come to it. But not everyone necessarily agrees with that. But it's interesting because if these letters were listed in any other order, then what I just said would not be true. If they were arranged in the scriptures in any other order, that would not be true, but they happen to be arranged in that order. So I just thought that that was kind of interesting. The second thing is, is that in every letter, Jesus says that He knows what the churches are doing. He still does. He knows what every church is doing. He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're not doing. He knew what they were doing. He knew what they were not doing. Jesus seems to know everything that's happening and all of the churches and every church that gets a letter either gets a commendation and a criticism, one or the other or both. And so Jesus always has something to say to his church. I think he's going to say something to us through this whole series. I think it's going to be a really interesting series to do at church. And the third thing that's in every letter is this phrase. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church is. Which is interesting since he was writing that to a church. 
So he says, hey, he who has an ear, let him hear. Well, like just show of hands, who's got an ear? All right, well, there you go. So he who, we've all got ears, right? But this was actually part of a, a Hebrew saying, and it was really meant to mean this. He who hears this and understands this must obey this. That, that, that was what it really means to do, to hear it and to obey it. So if you understand this, you must do this. And then he says what the Spirit is saying to the church is. Since he's writing to a church, it's interesting that he says church is. In other words, that's plural. So I think that that refers to not just the church that he was writing to, but it refers to all churches in some way. And one of the things that we are going to see as we do this series is that all the issues that the church had back then, the church still has now. And so this is, I think that all Scripture is God-breathed. I think that all Scripture speaks to you. But I think this is specific to His churches and this is meant to be read for all time. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this and try to unpack this because I think we need to understand more about what Jesus wants to say to, to the church. I believe that He says that through His, His Word. Do you agree? Yeah. yeah. Because I think that one of the most destructive things in Christianity right now is the fact that there are people all over the world who in all honesty are taking their thoughts and their feelings and they're just placing that way above the Word of God. Like way above the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with how you feel, then this must be wrong. And to try to, to, try to get the, the Word of God and make it fit your life is not really the approach that we're supposed to have. What we're supposed to do is to read what this says and to arrange ourselves around that. If something is wrong here, it's me. I think that God, I just credit Him with enough intelligence to have the foresight to write something that would be established for all time. You know, the Scriptures say that in Him, there's no shadow, there's no variation. He doesn't change. So I can't understand it, how we got a lot of people trying to run it past their feelings and then disagree with it. I think you should disagree with yourself. Honestly, in so many ways, the world that we live in right now, it's gone, it's gone crazy. And what's worse is there are people that stand on platforms just like mine who are saying things that I think is totally wrong when they try to do what I just said. Wokeism is, is, is driving the church to a place it wasn't supposed to go. People saying things that are just simply not true. I think that there are Plenty of preachers out there, just because you've got a microphone doesn't mean you have anything to say. And guess what? It's not really about how I feel about it anyway. It's about what it says about itself. And so when you've got pastors and preachers that are so woke, they're morally broke, I, I promise you, if they're, trying to, if they're trying to make this fit their context so that they can make the culture of today feel more comfortable with it, I promise you, you go down that path, you'll be more confused than a termite and a yo-yo. It will not end well for you. What we need to do is just to read this and see what it says. Because you know what happens? I'll tell you what's happening right now. We see something called progressive Christianity. Do you know about this? 
I mean, it's been happening for years. It's just gaining more traction, I guess. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's just how, how it appears to be. But progressive Christianity is this idea that when they wrote the Bible, the first century apostles and the doctrines that they wrote, that was really just the first stage of Christianity. But as we have become so much more intelligent and smarter, now we can interpret the Bible in new ways so it fits our culture. And that is just not the way it's supposed to go. So why don't we just read really what it says? Because this thing is meant to carry weight in our life. Like, can I, let me just ask you, like this, this book, would you elevate this above the weight that you feel? Would you? Because there are plenty of people that don't. But if you do, if you do, if you read the words, if you hear it, and if you obey it, this book promises you a blessing. So let's just go ahead and get that blessing. Amen. Yeah, Revelation 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 2. To the church in Ephesus, if this, was, if, if this was written to the church and there was meant to be some progression throughout time in history, this would be the first church, the, the early church. In verse 2, Jesus says, I know your works. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. He knows what we've done. He knows what we haven't done. When we talk about the church, we're not talking about some corporate body that sits somewhere. It's us. We're His people. We're His church. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. That's, this, so far, they're doing good. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So what do they have that's working for them? They have good doctrine. They understand the Scriptures. So that's how they're able to test those false teachers and false apostles. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand. You know what that is? That's the church. I'll remove your church from its place unless you what? What? Unless you repent. Verse 6, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which... We could look at that. It's probably not that important for today, but it, it might have been around eating food sacrificed to idols. There's something in there. But anyway, whatever it was, Jesus says, which I also hate. In verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church is. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's the promise that's attached. There is a blessing if you were to understand this. So here's my message today. Just three things that we can learn from the Ephesian church. That's it. Number one, you can serve from a wrong heart. You can serve God from a wrong heart. Is it not astonishing to you that when we read this, it says that they abandoned the love of God. And yet, look at how the letter opens. What did it say? I know your works, you're doing good. Your toil, your patience. You cannot bear those that are doing evil. That's good. 
He says, you've tested those who call themselves apostles and you've found the ones that are false, that are fake. You've got good doctrine. You're doing good. They're doing good works. And at the same time, they've abandoned the love of God. How could you do that together? You would think that you need one to do the other. Evidently, it's not true. Evidently, people can do the works for God without having love of God. They're just doing works for Him. And we see this. I mean, you can, you can serve. If, you wanna, if, you wanna, if, we, if we're talking about works, let's talk about serving, right? So serving, serving, serving God, just doing works for, for Him, serving Him. Could you do that without loving Him? Yeah. How do you do that? Well, what about, what about if you're just in the routine? The routine of doing works for God. You know, like routine, when, when, when you serve God, it's meant to be worship, right? It's like four of you that get that. Okay. Well, when you serve God, it's meant to be worship. So like you take your ordinary things that you do and it becomes worship based on what? Your attitude. So when you have an attitude and you do things to please God, your work becomes worship. That's why you can take your normal everyday job that doesn't feel very spiritual and make it an act of worship when you do it in service to God. And I think if you do it in service to Him, you're going to see a lot more fruit, spiritual fruit come out of your workplace that you didn't even think was spiritual. So, so you can just serve God out of routine. What, how? Your name's on the roster. So you're just like, yeah, here we go. Do it again. You, you can do a lot of things out of routine. Just show up. And we, we have people that sing on stage and we call that worship, right? But you know, it's, it is, but it's not exclusively worship, right? So when they stay here, they're, they're like, we say, oh yeah, they're going to lead us in worship. Yeah, they're going to lead us in worship, right? But you know, there's a lot of people that are going to lead us in worship. Production team are leading us in worship. So later on, later on, someone's going to make you some coffee. It'll be worship. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so it's not, you know, what you're doing. It's the attitude with which you're doing it. And in this case, if your heart is not in it, you know, that's where you start to run into that kind of a problem. You just do it out of routine. It's just routine. I'm just going to do the same thing. Yeah, my name's on the roster. Let's do this again. Like, but your heart's not in it. Is it possible to stand up here and, and, and sing to God and lead people in worship, but never actually feel the presence of God or not have a heart for God? You betcha it is. Is it possible for people to stand up here and preach the Word of God, but not have any kind of relationship with God? You betcha it is. And so we see things and we think it looks like it's all there, but it's not. But Jesus knows, right? He always knows. You could do things out of routine. Oh, you could do things out of discipline. I'm just disciplined. My relationship with God is just disciplined. I don't really like the word discipline when it comes to God. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, it's not like the relationship isn't there. It is there. It's just probably the lowest level of relationship you can have with a person. Yeah, we'll go on a date night. If it makes you happy, I'll be there. Yeah? If you want me, fine, I'll show up. Why? I'm disciplined. It's in the calendar. Yeah, we'll check your roster. Is it in there? Yeah, so you can do things out of discipline. We did a series like, I don't know, a couple months ago and I said, yeah, we've got to get rid of the word discipline, replace it with devotion. 
So, so when, when I'm disciplined, it's like I'm there, but I don't, my heart might not be in it. But when I'm devoted, I'm all there. I'm all there. So you can just do things out of discipline. What's another way you can do it? You, know, you could do it out of obligation. O- obligation. Hey, have you ever felt like, you know, your heart's not in it, but you're just obliged to do it? I better not step off this team or stop doing this worship thing that I'm doing. If I, if I stop that, someone's going to ask me, why am I doing it? It's just easy to just show up. I'm just obliged to do it. Fine, God, I'll make you happy. Fine. Like sometimes, honestly, it's not even about making God happy sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's honestly just about making other people happy. You know, I just want to make my team leader happy. Just w- w- want to make, you know, the production director happy. Just want to make sure my small group leader is happy, you know. So I'm just, I'm obliged to show up. I don't really want to be here, but I'm, I'm going to be here anyway. Is it possible to serve God with the wrong heart? Yeah, you betcha. And what's the difference? Well, the difference is all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Evidently, whatever you do, where your heart is, matters to God. So what's the first thing we know? Well, you can serve God with the wrong heart. Here's the second thing we could learn from the Ephesian church. Number two, you can have good good doctrine and still not love God. You can have good doctrine and still not love God. Why? Well, your heart's not in it. It's always been interesting to me that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they had access to God and the most perfect relationship with God that they could have. And they still chose knowledge over that. They wanted to know the difference between good and evil. I think people still do that today. They're seeking the knowledge of God, but they have no heart for God. They just just intellectualize the gospel. It's not even necessarily, that. maybe that's even too far. It's just knowing about Him. You know, and, and knowing about Him is not the same as loving Him. Knowledge doesn't equate to love. You could know heaps about God and not love Him at all. Imagine if we did this with people. Imagine if somebody said to me, how do you feel about your wife? And I say to you, well... I know who she is. And you say that, that, I mean, congrats, but that doesn't answer the question. How do you feel about your wife? I know her name. Like, and I don't confuse her with other people's wives. I know my wife. Yeah, awesome. But, but how do you feel about her? Well, I'll tell you this, I know what she wants from me. You know, she leaves a list on the fridge and I know, I know everything that she wants, right? Yeah, well, but isn't that the same thing when we, when we just read the scriptures and we go, oh, so he wants me to do this, wants me to do that, right? So like, do, do, do. It's like, you know, I've got my list right here. E- even if you were able to tell me everything that God wants you to do, that doesn't mean that you love Him at all. You could know all of this and still not love God. That's not how I feel feel have you ever met somebody that loved another person and when they do what does it look like don't they just want to be with the person they love don't they just want to be with the person they love you know you can be you can be present but not with someone do you know what i mean it's it's like 
you know, say there's a lot going on in my week. Sarah and I, we go on a date night. We're sitting down and she's talking to me, but I'm really thinking about work. I'm really thinking about other stuff that I've got to do. So I'm there, but I'm not really with her. Yeah? Do you reckon there might be some people that come to church, but are not really with Him? They're present, but they're not with Him. Why are they not with Him? Maybe because they have no love for God. I don't know. Do you remember when you first realized that God was actually real? Do you, do you remember that moment? Like when I was a kid growing up, I went to church and I believed that back then my faith was legitimate, right? Like I, I, I knew him and then I walked away from him. Then I rediscovered it all over again when I'm 21 years old, right? But there was this moment, especially around my early 20s, where I, I was reconnected with God and I don't know if you had this experience, so maybe I'm just projecting today. I don't know. But do you remember what it was like when you realized that He was real? And it was so exciting. And it's like God was all you thought about. I don't know if you had this. I, d- I did. I would think about God all of, the, all of the time. I had this transition year where I was doing a pretty average job, but then something clicked in my heart and I got it, right? And then suddenly God was everywhere and I was thinking about Him all of the time. And, and the truth is, I couldn't stop thinking about Him. I would do weird things like read. I never read. I don't know if I ever read a book until I became a Christian. Honestly, I didn't care for reading, but, but when I became a Christian, I was like, I want to read the Bible. That's weird. I would go to Kurong and buy books, books with actual words, not picture, but like books, you know, and I read them and, I, and, and you know what? I was so interested, right? And I was excited. And, and you know, my workplace, they would say, hey, do you want a Sunday shift? And I would say no, even though it would pay me way more money. Why? Because church was on Sunday and I was so excited about God. So they pay me way more money to say, Ben, we want you to come and do a shift at work. You know, I say, nope, I can't do it. And I would go to church multiple times on Sunday. And the church that I first started going to, they decided that they were going to start a night service. And to be honest, it was really average. Because I reckon we had maybe a few members in the band and a a very small handful of people. And I already heard the message in the morning. And when they said, would you like a shift at work, I'd be like, nope, can't do it. Why? Well, my church is running a, a church service and I'm in, I'm in. I mean, I was just there. Everything to me was exciting. And then, you know, I, I, I met Sarah and so, thank you. And, and so when we first met, Sarah was, was not a Christian. And, and really quickly, I figured out that God had my heart. And because of that, I understood that, you know, if, if we progress in our relationship, but she does not have any love for God, we are eventually going to go in two directions. You know, I understood the ancient African proverb, man who walks in two directions shall split his pants. So I understood that as a, you know, like when two become one flesh, like if we're always trying to go in opposite directions, you know, like what are we going to teach our kids? And what are we going to send to school? And, you know, all the decisions that come out of a relationship like that, I, I just knew enough to know that if she didn't love God, eventually this was going to be a problem for us. And so I said, that's it. 
this relationship is over. And she said, stop, I'll go to church. And I said, okay. And then she went and I would not, we, this relationship would never get serious until I knew that she absolutely loved God. And when I knew that, we got married. And so here we were, but in those early dating years, right? In, the, in that early time, I saw the same excitement that I had. I saw it in her. And we would sit down and we would be reading the scriptures and breaking them open and like, what does this mean? And what is God really saying, right? And, and you know, as, as you be a Christian for longer, you accumulate some knowledge, right? So, so at the start, it was exciting and we didn't know heaps. And then we started to learn more. But I've learned that there's this really weird thing that sometimes happens to people in church where it's almost like they have enough exposure to be inoculated to the amazing thing that is called a relationship with God. And, and, and even though they, they know more, they have less passion. I think that that's weird. How, how does this happen? How do people know more about God, but have less passion? It doesn't make sense. I, I, I've, I've seen this so many times. And you know what happens to people in church? When they start to, they, they learn a little bit more, but they say, they, they pull out a serving. They stop giving. You meet anyone that's cynical about God or church and they've already got one foot out the door. They're already a foot out. Do you know anyone that's cynical? It's like their small group leader says, guys, we're gonna do this. Insert eye roll. You know? Their team leader at church, hey guys, this, this week we're gonna do, here we go. The pastor says something, yeah, right. You know more, but you love less. And the thing about being cynical, and this is the worst thing, is that by the time you get there, you're actually convinced you're making the right decision. You've convinced yourself. And I look at this and I think, man, what happened? Oh, I know what happened. You're spiritually dry. I've never met anybody that's passionately in love with God. I've never met anybody, let's say it another way. I've never met anybody that has walked out of connection with God or church, but been reading their Bible every day. I've never seen that. I've, I've just, you know, it's possible probably someone out there. I just don't know. I've never met anybody who's walked away from their relationship with God, but prayed every day and, and, and read the Word of God and was connected to their, to their church and, and, and was part of something. You know, in all honesty, anybody that I've seen that has walked away from church and said, I'll be fine. This is my church. It's just my community. All right. Yep. It never lasts. It doesn't. Something happens to those people. And, and so what do we know? Well, you can serve God from the wrong heart. You can have good doctrine and still not love God. Because the people that, that, that sometimes are on their way out, they know more, but they love less. So what we know those two things. Here's a third thing we know, and this, this is actually really good. You can change your relationship with God today through something Jesus calls Repentance. Do you remember that word that I made you repeat? Repentance. What does it mean? It means to change direction. The call of this letter, the call of this letter is to love God again. 
to love him again. To not just get in the routine, to not just be disciplined, to not feel like you're obligated, to not feel like you're making anyone happy, but to just, to just love him again. Because what the world doesn't need to see is a church that is just good at serving God. What the world needs to see is a church that's totally in love with God. If all they see is just the service of Him, what's attractive about that? Where does it come? It won't last. But, but a, a church that loves Him, that wants to be with Him, that's wrapped up in His presence, that hasn't become cynical, that hasn't, you know, become spiritually dry, but is just totally caught up in the presence of God. That's the church that's going to make a difference. And Jesus says something that I think we really should pay attention to. He says, if you don't repent, I'll take your church. It's weird. We're seeing a lot of churches get taken at the moment. You don't repent, you don't change. I'll take your church. Evidently, Jesus doesn't need a church that doesn't love Him. He's willing to take it. I don't need a group of people that have exclusively good doctrine, but no heart. I don't need that church around. That's what He's saying. And if that doesn't really hit home, I don't know how to make that point more impacting. You know? A church with good doctrine, great service and acts, but no heart, he doesn't need. But if you do repent, what does he say? If you do repent, he goes, I will let you eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. God is doing something in our nation right now. He's doing something in our nation. God is doing something, not just in our nation. He's doing something in our world right now. You must see it. And what He doesn't need is, is a church that's got good doctrine, great access service, right? But no heart for Him. He doesn't need that. What the Holy Spirit is looking for is people that actually love Him. And if you came to Heart and Soul recently, you would have heard me say this and we don't have time for it today, right? But, but you know what? The, the, the era and the age of just excellence, it's, it's over. What we need is God's presence. And what God is not looking for is He says, oh my gosh, they have good doctrine, which is good. And, and they have really slick services. And have you seen their social media? It's outstanding, right? Now, finally, I have a church to work with. He's not saying that. He doesn't care about that. He says, if I could find people with a heart for me, I could do something significant with that group of people. He's looking for people that have a heart for God. And the church that gives their heart to God, that's the church that will make a difference in the world that we live in. The call of this letter is to make God your first love, not to make Him fit the mould of your, your life and to try to squeeze Him in, but to let Him have the priority seat, to let Him have the throne of your heart. And if you put Him back here and you start to love Him, and one of the indicators that you love Him is that you just wanna be with Him. You just wanna be with Him. 
You don't wake up in the morning and say, guess I better have that prayer meeting with him. That's like me saying to my wife, fine, we'll go on a date night. It's in the calendar. No, there's something where you wake up, you say, God, I wanna be with you, right? And I feel like what I'm saying right now is so foreign to some people in this room. It's like, you may not have ever felt like that, but you can, you can. How do we stop you from going where you're going? How do we change? Well, if you're headed towards cynicism, stop, turn around, repent. God, I'm coming after you. God, I wanna spend time with you. God, I wanna be with you. You have that kind of relationship with God. For some of you, maybe that relationship with God, it's grown cold. You don't have the spark you once had. It's not exciting like it used to be. You've been around long enough that you've become inoculated to the, to the most amazing relationship that you can ever have. And today is the day that you get to change all of that. Wouldn't you stand to your feet? Really simple. Close your eyes for one minute. If you know in your heart that your relationship with God has, has grown cold. If you know in your heart that it's not what it used to be. The passion and the excitement that you once had, it's no longer there. But today you actually would say to God, if He was standing in this room, and I assure you that He is, you would say to Him, God, I want what He's talking about. I've heard about this, but I want it. Maybe you had it and you lost it, but you want it back. Right now, raise your hand and say, that's me, include me in this prayer because I can't let this moment slip by. I, I wanna reconnect with my Creator. I wanna have that kind of relationship. It's grown cold. I want it to be hot. I, want, I wanna be on fire. I wanna be excited again. I remember what it was like to have passion and I want it back. If, you, if you're in here today, you say, I want that relationship with God, then raise your hand and say, God, that's me. Father, for every person that's in here today that says it's grown cold, cold father I pray that they would stop that they turn around from the way that they're going and God set them on fire I pray God that passion would begin to emerge that passion would begin to well up in them and and Lord your word that was once alive that's now become a dusty you know paperweight on their shelf I pray God that they would blow off the cobwebs and get rid of that and say God speak to me again through your word and Lord we know that your word says that when we read it you illuminate the scriptures to us so God begin to do some illumination God I pray that you begin to speak I pray that you be, begin to move I pray God that you begin to set your church on fire and I pray God that for every single person in this room today that wants that God I know they can have it I pray that they get it when they seek you when they seek your face when they want to be with you don't let them be the same let them be changed in Jesus name hey thanks for listening to the bright weekly podcast we hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.